Welcome to the Lost Roman Heroes Podcast. My name is Matthew. And my name is Matteo. And together we're diving deep into the history of Rome from its founding to its death, uncovering Rome's greatest heroes along the way, and we are ranking them. Welcome everyone to part two of our very special, unprecedented two-episode series on a single hero, and that person is Publius Cornelius Scipio, the man who would soon, very soon, Matteo, in this episode, will be known simply as Africanus. That's a pretty cool title. I think it's just about the coolest. Yeah, it doesn't get much better than that. No. He sets the standard. Well, actually, Marcus Aurelius's title is pretty cool. Or not Marcus Aurelius, um, Aurelian. Oh, you know what? I would agree with you. I think Aurelian is up there and maybe beats him. But definitely up until now, and for a long time, Africanus rules. Yeah, for sure. So, before we continue, Matteo, in the last episode, episode 10, you asked me a question that I couldn't answer. And it was something that's been bugging me for a long time, even before you asked the question. And your question was, do you remember? Oh, yeah. How, can they, how do they count before Christ? Yeah. How do they count years? And the answer is, in the very early days of the Republic, they used to name the years after the two consuls serving that year. And then, shortly thereafter, and we're still in the period of the early Republic, they started counting years from the time of the founding of Rome. So, 753 B.C. So, year zero was 753 B.C., Mm. and they counted up from that date. And then, like we say today, a date may have a B.C. or a B.C.E. after it, or a C.E. or an A.D., depending upon how sensitive you are about those things. They used to add A.U.C. In Latin, that means ab urbe condita, which means from the foundation of the city. Yeah, but after Christ, do they keep counting like that? They just kept counting. And in fact, we didn't change, or they didn't change, to this concept of before and after Christ until somewhere in the 400s after Christ, when a monk came up with this genius idea of Agno Domini. Hmm. So, like, around the fall of the Western Roman Empire. Right around the fall of the Western Roman Empire, that's right. That's pretty interesting. Cool stuff, no? Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either, but you made me study, and I learned something too, so thank you for that. Better you do the studying than me. (laughs) The reality is you do a ton of studying too. You just do it in a different way. I may read a book or maybe read something online. I was watching a YouTube video. Or you're playing a game about ancient Rome and you learn things that way. So it doesn't really matter, I don't think, and that's something that you've helped me understand, how you get the knowledge. The important thing is you have the interest and, and you learn. So let's get into this, Mateo. To remind our listeners, this is where we ended up in episode 10. So we are deep in the second Punic War. That is the second knockdown, head-to-head brawl between Rome and Carthage. Right. To recap, Hannibal Barca entered Italy in 218 with his war elephants, with his Libyan veterans, with his Celts and with his Spaniards, and he started kicking Syria's butt. He wiped the field of Romans. And up until now, Rome and Italy had pretty much been able to dominate. They went through one catastrophe after another. First, 
at the river Ticinus, then at the Trebia River, and then at Lake Trasimeno. Each one of these losses to Hannibal were increasingly grave until finally we got the big one at Cannae in the year 216 BC. A young man named Scipio survived Cannae, and in 211, after his father and his uncle were killed in Spain by the Barcas, those are Hannibal's brothers, Scipio the Younger was sent to Spain, and in a series of methodical, remarkable, brilliant campaigns, he wound up wiping out the three Carthaginian generals, he expelled Carthage from Spain, and he avenged his father's and his uncle's death. However, and I know you remember this, Hannibal was still in Italy. Rampaging around. Rampaging around, dominating the south, getting Italian tribes to desert the Romans. Because remember, at this point, Matteo, this whole idea of a Roman Italy was still very young. Right. That was a republic like in Star Wars. It was a republic. Like and Star Wars. Like Star Wars. And they hadn't extended Roman citizenship to all these Italian tribes. You were a Roman, you were a Roman citizen, and then you were allied with Rome. Maybe not necessarily because you wanted to be, but because you were compelled to be. Right. And so Hannibal was brilliant, and he started peeling off some of these Roman allies. So despite the fact that Scipio was successful, wildly successful, in Spain, he still hadn't solved the problem of a Hannibal dominating the south of Italy. Right. So Scipio came home from Spain, Matteo, in the year 211, with 6,500 kilograms of silver, unbelievable amount of war, booty, and treasures. And he arrived in the city, and we talked about it last time. At the very end, what he happened? Was, he was denied a triumph. Unbelievable. By freaking Cunctator, right? By Cunctator. And Cunctator's very good buddy. Do you remember? Uh, no. Cato the Elder. All right, Cato. So, Cunctator and Cato and the conservatives in the Senate said to Scipio, legally, you can't have a triumph. Tough noogies. Right. However, the Senate saw how wildly popular Scipio was with the common man in the street, and shortly thereafter, he was made consul. When the Senate asked him where he wanted to spend his year of consulship, he said something maybe shocking at the time, which was, I want to go to Africa. Even though Africa was clearly not a province of the empire, Africa was Carthage. You'll remember that Fabius said to Scipio, I don't understand. Why do you want to go to Africa if Hannibal, our mortal enemy, is in Italy? But Scipio didn't give up, and eventually the Senate relented, but they didn't give him much. They said, you can go to Sicily. And when you see fit, you can cross to Africa, but we're not giving you any men. So what did Scipio do? He raised 7,000 volunteers. He built 30 warships, and he sailed for one of our favorite places. I, I hate that. The fact that they didn't give him more men. Why? I don't understand. He's, it's it's, 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 it's going to benefit everybody. Why don't you want him to succeed? I don't know. It's weird. I've tried, I feel the same way. It makes me angry about this guy, Fabius, and as well, Cato the Elder. I don't care about the triumph, but not giving him more men, that just seems counterproductive. It's a common goal, no? 
I think that what Fabius was thinking is that he, he was formed by his experiences. He was probably thinking about Cani. And so why are we going to raise another massive army and send them into the lion's den when our biggest problem is here? However, I also think that there's just pure jealousy involved here, and they were jealous of the young kid. Right. So one of the things I forgot to tell you, Mateo, and this is key, and it's super incredibly cool. Scipio sails for Sicily with his 7,000 raw volunteers, but he did have... Wait, what happened to his legion that he was using before? He... He was not able to take the African le- the the Spanish legions. Oh, that's so weird. But the Senate did give him one thing, which you're gonna love. You may recall that there were two legions that survived Cani, right? And they were disgraced. They were disgraced because they survived the worst defeat in Rome's history, and so the Senate had sent them to Sicily, that banished them to Sicily. Oh wow! And when Scipio sailed for Sicily, he said, "You know what? You can take." the two disgraced legions from Cannae in Sicily and add them to your forces. So you can imagine these the old guys. Guard. It's like Napoleon's old guard. The old guard, all they wanted was to clear their names, right? Right. That's pretty intense, banishing them after losing a battle where most of them died. It's got to have an effect on your, on your psyche. On your psyche. And we're talking now, Matteo, the year 208. Cannae was 216. Do the math. Eight years. Ooh. <laughs> 16 divided by two. <laughs> That's right. So they've been sitting in Sicily, stewing for eight years, shamed and wanting to clear their names. And finally, Scipio was going to give them uh, an opportunity to do so. Scipio had one big problem in Spain, however. He had a decent number of men, not huge, but he was lacking one thing. He had no cavalry. In Spain? So, in Sicily? In, sorry, in, in Sicily, you're absolutely right. He had no cavalry in Sicily to take with him to Africa, and he did something, Matteo, that's absolutely genius. He sent a message to all the leading families of Sicily and said, please bring me 300 of your firstborn sons with horses. They're going to be joining the army. I'm taking them to Africa. How do you think they felt about that? Scared as hell. <laughs> right? Scared as hell. But they did it. They showed up. So 300 scions of the leading families of Sicily showed up at Scipio's camp in Syracusa and said, here we are. Do we really need to do this? They were freaked out. And Scipio looked at them and said, he played this beautifully. Okay, you know what? You don't need to go to Africa. Yay! What do we need to do to get out of this? All you need to do is leave me your horse and train one of my men to ride. And so, then you can go home. So he tricked them, basically. He tricked them, and he got a cavalry force for free. Brilliant, no? That is pretty smart. Well, I wonder what the quality of that cavalry force would be, though. I don't know. We're going to find out shortly when he puts them into action in Africa. So while he was there, there was a scandal at a city called Locri. I don't want to get into it. But a man that he put in charge of the town started to loot and pillage the citizens of Locri that Scipio had pledged to defend. There was a senatorial investigation. Cato was involved. They tried to pin it on Scipio. They weren't able to, and Scipio was eventually cleared. And finally, the Senate gave him the green light, Matteo, to sail for Africa. By 204, 
So now Scipio's been getting ready for four years. By 204... He's been consul for four years? No, he wasn't consul. He was, he, right. was like a, he was consul for one year, and then he was given a special command, maybe a proconsul. And then by 204, he was ready. He sailed from the city of Lilibayum, which today is Marsala. Right, in the west. In the west. It, you're, you're absolutely right. It's the westernmost. It was the westernmost point in Sicily, basically, the closest that he could get to Carthage. And we don't know exactly how many men he had with him when he sailed, but we think it was somewhere around 16,000 uh, infantry, 1,600 horse, and to put that into perspective... Jeez, he built up a, cal- uh, a cavalry size of 1,600? He did. It's pretty impressive. As impressive as the numbers may sound, it's about half of what our old friend Regulus had when he sailed for Carthage in the first Punic War. And Regulus almost succeeded. And he almost succeeded. And he was outnumbered when he got there. That's true. In addition, he had 40 warships and about 400 transports, and they set sail. Now, with the Tucani legions, with his 7,000 volunteers and the cavalry he was able to raise, they landed Matteo not far from where Regulus had landed 42 years before. Only 42 years have passed between Regulus and this moment in time when Scipio steps foot on African soil. They landed at a place called Utica, which is on Cape Bon, more or less where Regulus had landed before. And it's more or less, Matteo, where one of our favorites, Belisarius, will land in 700 years. That's pretty interesting. It is. They all went to the same spot. They all went to the same spot to fight a similar foe. Just like the Normans and Julius Caesar. That is also true. You're saying the Normans sailing the channel just like uh, Caesar did. Yeah. Yeah. So... Caesar lands in Africa, uh, Caesar, Scipio lands in Africa, and he made camp and laid siege to this town of Utica, which was a strategic town. But he wasn't able to take it quickly. So rather than maintaining the siege, he moved on. He got close to a, a to the force of Hanno. You remember Hanno? He's one of uh, Hannibal's brothers. Right. And with Scipio at this point, Matteo, shortly after he landed, he made contact with Masinasa. You remember him? Uh, the guy that sounded like Mansa Musa. That is true. And he was a Numidian prince. And you remember that the Numidians had been fighting on Hannibal's side throughout the Second Punic War. But somehow, Scipio, through his force of personality, was able to win Masinasa, a Numidian so prince, over to his side. He was a sellsword, basically. He was like a sellsword, that is true, and he didn't bring a ton with him. It was only 200 Numidian horse because Masinasa had been ejected from his homeland. So he did keep his word, however, and brought 200 horse, and the Numidian horse were brilliant. So Scipio used Masinasa and said, I know that Hanno is near with a large Carthaginian army, army. I want you to approach them and lure them out into a trap. And Masinasa did that. And Scipio was able to kill thousands of Hanno's troops in the first encounter in a shrewdly laid trap. That was the first contact, but that was not a big battle. Right. This was late in the campaign season at that point, Matteo. And so Scipio decided to establish winter quarters. In the north of Africa, it shouldn't be. 
I mean, it wasn't snowing, right? It shouldn't be no, that bad. Not snowing, but it wasn't growing season anymore. And oh, in ancient yeah. times, if it weren't growing, growing season, you couldn't campaign because you right. had no way to feel, feed your, your army. So they settled down for winter quarters, and Scipio knew that there were three Carthaginian armies nearby sitting between him and Carthage. One army was led by Hanno, a brother of Hannibal. The other was led by Hasdrubal Gizgo, not the dead brother of Hannibal, the other Hasdrubal. And the third army was led by Syphax. We saw Syphax in Spain. He was another Numidian king, not prince. And he was one oh, of the, the guys. He was one of the guys that had booted out Masinasa from his hereditary lands. So Scipio was monitoring his enemies in winter quarters, and he came up with a brilliant idea, which is the following. One night, in the deep of night, when everybody was asleep, or shortly before sleep, he had horns sounded in the Roman camp, signaling that it was time to go to bed. Now, the Carthaginians <laughs> knew... Yeah, they had a bedtime horn. Or it was probably more like... I don't think it sounded like you, to be honest, but sure. Probably not. The Carthaginians knew where the Romans were. They all knew where each other were. But there was the unwritten rule. It's wintertime, and we're not going to campaign, and we're not going to attack. Right. After the horn was sounded, under the cover of darkness, Scipio divided his troops. He sent into three. He sent one part under Masinasa and one part under his lieutenant, Laelius, who was with him in Spain as well. And they were to do the following. They approached the camp of Syphax, who was the Numidian king, and they lit some little fires, Mateo, on the edges of camp. And then they backed off. You can imagine, in a very short period of time, the Numidian warriors saw the fire, smelled the smoke, rushed out of their tents and started trying to put out the fire, whereupon Masinasa and Laelius fell upon them and slaughtered. Kind of stupid not have any watch or patrols or anything like that. Uh, it it probably did have, but like I don't know how they didn't. They were probably that. distracted by the fires. Probably. So they probably thought that a cooking fire got out of control. They were all focused on putting out the fire, and the Romans took advantage of the confusion and fell upon them. And as soon as Scipio saw the flames rising from Masinasa's, uh, from Syphax's camp, he fell upon Hasdrubal's camp, which was nearby. This battle, this first real encounter of the war, wound up in 40,000 enemy troops killed. Hasdrubal was able to escape with a couple thousand men to Carthage. But it was a huge win for the Romans because there were essentially no more major field armies right. In Africa. And, and uh, Hannibal is still in Italy. And Hannibal is still kicking ass in Italy. So there were some more, let's say, minor encounters in that campaign season that was just beginning, and Scipio emerged victorious in all of them. In addition to his first defeat of Syphax, he was able to pursue Syphax into his Numidian homelands and to take him captive and restore Masinasa's Numidian kingdom to him. We're talking more or less modern Algeria. Around the same time, Scipio was closing in on Carthage, Matteo, and he took the city of Tunis. You remember that Regulus also took Tunis. Now, Tunis today is the modern city of Tunis, which completely, uh, which has completely, well, it's grown massively, and it includes the area of ancient Carthage. Right. But at this time, Tunis and Carthage were two different cities. 
Scipio was sitting in Tunis and the Carthaginian Senate or Council of Elders sent negotiators to Scipio and said, hey, guys, this really wasn't our fault. And the Council of Elders was actually separate from the Senate. This isn't our fault. It's the Senate's fault. Those guys are warmongers. We never would have attacked you. We would love to conclude a peace with you. Let's not be rash. Right. What do you think Scipio said after suffering all that he had? Uh, well, he seems like he was a smart guy. So I guess he said yes. Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess he'd also want to... I don't know if he wanted to destroy Carthage, though. You know, I, I guess he wanted to avenge his father and stuff. But he seems like a smart guy, so I'm going to say... Well, I know what happened, but I'm going to say he tried accepting the terms. You, you just raised an extremely important point, and I want to talk about this later in the podcast. The truth is that, as you suspected, Scipio laid out very gentle terms. Because remember that Regulus, in the same position, sitting in Tunis, approached by the Carthaginians laid out very harsh demands. Right. So harsh that the Carthaginians said, you know what, better to just Fuck keep that. fighting. There's no way we, yeah. Okay, remember we said oh. we're not going to try to use naughty words. Sorry about that. Okay, we may have to go back and bleep that one. So this is what he said, Mateo, and this stunned me. Maybe it'll surprise you. Scipio said these are the terms of peace. You must first, Carthage, restore all the Roman and Italian prisoners that you currently have. You must evacuate Italy and Gaul. Hannibal has to come home. You need to give up Spain. It's true I already kicked you out of Spain, but you need to formally renounce it. You'll have to pay us an indemnity in grain and money, and perhaps this was the harshest point, you must give up all of your warships except for 20. And guess what? The elders... Accepted. Accepted. But the Senate... Did not. I'm afraid not. The Roman Senate or the Carthaginian no, Senate? No, the Carthaginian oh. Senate. However, an embassy was sent to the Roman Senate to bring these terms of peace, but the Carthaginian Senate went around their backs and recalled Mago and Hannibal from Italy. We're now in 203 BC. Shortly thereafter, Hannibal landed at Leptis Magna and started moving towards Carthage with his hardcore veterans. Scipio, however, did not know, at least not at the very beginning. So at the dawn of 2002 now, Hannibal has landed in Africa. 2002? At 202, thank you. The Roman Senate, even now, Matteo, was working against Scipio. This just gets my blood boiling. Now Fabius, our old friend, Cunctator, the delayer. Still alive. Oh. He had recently died. Oh, no. But his, yeah, he died in 203. But his, and I also felt a little sympathy for the guy. He is an old cranky guy, and he thought he was doing the best for Rome. And when Rome needed him, he did stand up. Screw that guy. It was a little bit of luck. but <laughs> Yeah, there is luck involved. At any rate, Cunctator's group in the Senate, led now by Cato the Elder, was still very much alive. And you're going to love this. There were uh, consuls that had done nothing to help Scipio, that now asked the Senate to give them Africa because they wanted to be there and claim the victory. Oh, that is so cheesy. Not only did they ask for it, they were granted it. And there was a, a consul, I forget his name, that was outfitted with a massive army, a huge fleet, and set sail for Carthage. 
But Mother Nature took care of them, blew them off course to Sardinia, and they never wound up making it. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Scipio, in the meantime, was just very focused, eyes on the prize. He now knew that Hannibal was in Africa and that Hannibal was going to be moving for Carthage, and he wanted to do whatever he could, Matteo, to keep Hannibal away from the city of Carthage. So it was like a, it was like a mental chess battle of like two people that thought beyond the levels of anybody else. Yes. This was three-dimensional chess at its finest. And so rather than, I mean, if you think about it, to fight Hannibal, Scipio didn't go for Hannibal. He sailed for Africa. And now Hannibal's in Africa, and rather than going for Carthage to secure the city... He wants to fight Hannibal? He went deep into the agricultural heartland of Carthage. Mm, just like just like Hannibal did in, in Italy. Very much like what Hannibal did in Italy. This, you get the sense throughout this story that this is a young guy that's been studying his enemies for all of his life. He has seen firsthand not only the damage that Hannibal has wrought, but the brilliance that Hannibal was, both strategically and tactically, and he learned from his foe. So he, Scipio marches up the Bagradas Valley into the very rich heart of Carthaginian agriculture, and Hannibal could do nothing but follow him. It was a check move. Not checkmate, but it was a check. If Scipio destroyed the agricultural heartland of the city, then the city could not withstand a siege. Hannibal, sensing that he was up against somebody of unique intelligence, sent out his spies to investigate what's happening with the Romans. Where are they going? What's their intent? Scipio captured a few, Matteo, and this is one of my favorite stories of the Second Punic War. He captured these spies. What would you do if you captured some spies? Would you be kind, friendly, sweet, take probably, good care of them? Probably blind them. <laughs> no, that'd be pretty... If you blind them and send them back to Hannibal, that's a pretty scary message. Okay, all right. So this is what Scipio did. He captured them, brought them into the camp, did not blindfold them, definitely did not blind them. Instead, he wined them, he dined them, he fed them, and he took them by the hand... Uh, not literally, I don't think, that would be weird, but figuratively, took them around the camp. Here are my Numidians, here are my cavalry, take a look at my skirmishers, take a look at my heavy infantry. I want you to see everything. Have you seen everything? Good. And once they saw everything, he did not blind them. Instead, he gave them little doggy bags and he sent them on their way with bodyguards to bring them back to Hannibal. Because he wanted Hannibal to know everything. That's pretty bold. Pretty bold. I mean, I don't, I don't understand. What message do you think that sends to Hannibal? Come get us. And I am not afraid of you, dude. You want to know what I'm up to? Here, this is exactly what I'm up to. So, according to the Roman historian Polybius, Hannibal was so blown away by this audacious move. You said it in one of our early episodes. You said the word was sigma. I think this is sigma, right? Yeah. Right. I had to look it up, move. by the way, after that episode. Really? I didn't, yeah, I didn't know what you were talking about. It's a sigma move. It's a sigma move. Hannibal, recognizing a sigma move when he knows one, because he's the master of sigma moves, asked Scipio for a peace conference, my first big battle. And now I have come to ask peace from that man's son. Now, if only Scipio, you Romans, had not coveted anything outside Italy, and if only 
us Carthaginians had not wanted anything outside Africa, none of this would have happened. And that coveting, that desire to acquire, uh, I didn't mean to rhyme there, has just caused too much suffering. And fate is fickle. You know that. I know that. Who knows what might happen in the battle that is to come between you and me? It's better, Scipio, that we make peace. What I was at Cannae, you are now. Doesn't that give you chills? That is pretty freaky. And here I am in Africa on the point of negotiating with you, a Roman, for the safety of myself and my country. And at this point, Hannibal basically offered peace terms to Scipio, but even weaker than the ones that Scipio had offered. So yeah, we'll give up Spain. All right, you already lost Spain. We'll give up Sardinia. You already lost Sardinia. And Sicily, they had lost that in the first Punic War. So he wasn't offering much. And Scipio couldn't accept. And the peace conference ended. That's pretty ominous. There's only one way to go from here. To battle, basically, right? Going to battle. We are going to war. They were at a place, Mateo, called Zama. And the battle that ensued is known as the Battle of Zama, even though we have never discovered exactly where the battle was held. Archaeologists have been searching for it for hundreds and hundreds of years. And its site hasn't been discovered. It's somewhere not too terribly far from modern uh, Tunis. So as the day dawned, Polybius said, uh, Polybius the historian said, the Carthaginians were fighting for their own safety and the dominion of Africa. But the Romans, Matteo, they were fighting for the empire of the world. As the sun rose, Scipio addressed... Very much so, foreshadowing. And... Polybius was a contempor- was alive when this happened. He was a contemporary of Scipio, and so he had firsthand knowledge of the battle. He was not there, but he was able to speak to veterans that were there. So what we know of Polybius was probably quite accurate, and he was no great lover of the Romans. He was a Greek that was taken hostage in Greece and brought back a slave to Rome. That sucks. Yeah, and we're going to hear more about him in the next episode. So the next morning, Scipio addressed his men and said something to the effect of, listen, we're going to go to meet the foe with two objects before you men, either victory or death. Those are the two outcomes tomorrow, nothing else. There's no maybe we survive and escape. No, we either win or we die. For men animated by such a spirit must always overcome their adversaries. And Hannibal addressed his men, and basically asked them to think about home and how much the Romans were going to make their wives and children suffer if the men of Carthage lost to the Romans. They set up for battle, Matteo. And in the battle formation, Scipio did something revolutionary. You know that typically in this era, the Roman legions were organized in sort of a checkerboard formation, right? Right so that the second line could easily pass through a gap left in the first line to support the first line, and the third line could do the same. Right. Right? Scipio organized differently. Instead, he left corridors between the lines. Why? You're going to love this. Listening. Remember? (laughs) No pregnant pause. So you remember Hannibal, when he first came over the Alps, he had 37 war elephants? Right, and they all and they, died. And they all died before Cannae. 
Well, Hannibal now had 80 war elephants, the most of any Jeez. battle. And he placed the 80 war elephants up front, in front of his front line. Hannibal had about 55,000 troops. The best estimate for Scipio and the Romans is about 36,000 troops, and that includes Masinasa and the Allies. So a big difference. Massively outnumbered the Romans. The battle began. The skirmishers engaged, and Scipio sent horns up to the front line and started blowing the horns like crazy to freak out the elephants. <laughs> right? It's like the... It's like uh, the, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it is, like Lord of the Rings. And the, it worked. The elephants got super nervous. Some of them panicked, turned around, and started stampeding through the Carthaginian army, especially the cavalry. So, and the horses probably panicked too. So the first blow against Carthage was, was struck by the 80 war elephants. Then Masinasa swooped in with his cavalry and he broke Hannibal's left flank. And Masinasa and the Numidians gave pursuit to the fleeing Carthaginian horse from the left flank. Other elephants that had also panicked, but they didn't turn around. They tried straight at the Romans, but Scipio was brilliant and the corridors that he had established allowed them to pass through these lanes without molesting the bulk of the Roman army. The Romans attacked with the corps, and they managed to, after a grinding, brutal battle, to break Hannibal's first two lines. Now, Hannibal had a hard core of his most seasoned veterans held in reserve. The old guards like Napoleon. were in the third line, and there were about 24,000 of the most hardened veterans. These are guys, some of them had been fighting since the First Punic War. They had been through Spain. They had been in Italy for 15 years. 24,000 is pretty, pretty wild. 24,000 of the best of the best, loyal to the death. Now, in numbers at this point in the battle, Matteo, the Romans and the Carthaginians were more or less evenly matched because Scipio had lost the Numidians because they were off chasing down the fleeing Carthaginian cavalry. Right. Now, Scipio at this point reorganized his army again. Hannibal formed into a phalanx, which was you know the, the tip of an arrow. And Scipio organized into a single, extremely long line. This is radical, because he wanted to maximize the firing power on the enemy. That means that if someone breaks on that line, they all basically... If somebody breaks, breaks. that's true. But he's able to maximize the, the immediate impact against the enemy. And the attack began, the line went back and forth... Hours passed, but in the heart of the battle, Masinasa and the Roman cavalry returned and attacked Hannibal's army from the rear. It was Cannae, and Scipio triumphed. Some, just like, just like uh, Hannibal said. Yes, just like Hannibal said. I hadn't thought about it. He foreshadowed his own defeat. Some 20,000 Carthaginians lay dead at Zama, about 2,000 Romans and allied troops, and Hannibal was not amongst them. Hannibal escaped. That's not very, that's not looked upon too brightly in Carthaginian culture. In any culture, right? Well, yeah, but remember in Carthage, if, if you're a general and you lose a battle, ah, they kill you. You remember that from the First Punic War, yes. Hannibal escaped, Matteo. And Polybius, who was no lover of Rome, nor was he necessarily a lover of Carthage. He was a Greek, 
summed up this battle best. If he who had never yet suffered defeat, he's referring to Hannibal, after taking every possible step to ensure victory, yet failed to do so, we must pardon him. For there are times when fortune counteracts the plans of valiant men, and again at times, as the proverb says, a brave man meets another braver still, as we may say happened in the case of Hannibal. That is pre- pretty chilling. Isn't it? One so, defeat, and it just takes one. It was Hannibal's only defeat. But it was the linchpin. Scipio made camp in Tunis again. Carthage sent ambassadors again. Scipio made them wait outside Mateo, the walls of Tunis, one full day. Then he brought them in and said, essentially... Why should I listen to you? No sane man, no rational man. Right, like he could basically walk into Carthage at this point. Carthage is mine. He said to them, after you broke my prior treaty, because we had a peace treaty that the elders had agreed to, and nonetheless you started the war again against me. You don't deserve justice, men of Carthage, but I am going to give you justice. This is what he did. This blows me away. He returned all African territories to Carthage. He did not leave a Roman garrison. He said, people of Carthage, you may keep your city and you may keep your culture. You will pay an annual penalty. You will not train any more war elephants. So I guess the war elephants were actually pretty effective. Right. You can only keep 10 warships. That's nuts. Ten warships? Yeah. You're crippling them, basically. You could continue to trade. Right, you could have trading ships, but still ten warships. No more warships. How do they protect their trade? It, essentially, you can no longer wage war independently without our permission. Right. You must renounce claims on Spain and Sicily. You need to feed my army until the Roman Senate ratifies this treaty, and I'm able to return home. And the scale of, you know, how harsh or kind would you rate that peace deal after everything that these two states had I mean it's really generous it is really generous like if he really wanted to I mean any man at that point would probably be full with vengeance and stuff probably want to destroy the Carthaginians but that is really generous of him incredibly benign and I think it shows what kind of human being Scipio really was And here's something even more incredible. Hannibal didn't disappear. Hannibal was in Carthage. And Hannibal told the Carthaginian Senate to ratify the treaty. And that's interesting, too, because, you know, we thought that Hannibal was, like, full of bloodlust and wanting to destroy the Romans. Maybe it's just a, a duty that he felt was placed on him by his father. Who knows? Maybe, or maybe 25 years of constant war and suffering and bloodshed had softened him or mellowed him. I I don't know. Yeah. But it was because of Hannibal that the Carthaginian Senate ratified this peace treaty, and he basically said, guys, you have no no idea how lucky we truly are. And shortly thereafter, in the year 201, Hannibal was elected chief Sufet, which is basically like consul of Carthage. Hannibal Mateo, he was only 46 years old at this point. Jeez, still a young guy. He's been fighting nonstop for 20 plus years. And what did he do in this position? 
he had an incredible sh short but remarkable career as a politician. He cracked down on corruption in Carthage. Mateo, Hannibal had not been in Carthage since he was nine years old. Wow. He's, he's been on nuts. the road, essentially at war, with his dad and then his brother-in-law and then by himself for his entire life. Yeah, like uh, 37 years or something yeah. like that. That so, is nuts. So he just showed up in Carthage. He cracks down on corruption. He started paying the Roman war indemnity. He reorganized the Carthaginian state. And then seven years later, going a little bit into the future, in 195, the Romans came back. They were worried that Carthage was rebounding too quickly. And fearing that he was about to be arrested, Hannibal fled Carthage, first to Tyre, or Tyre, homeland of the Phoenicians. Right. Then he went to Ephesus in Turkey. And finally, he wound up in the Seleucid court of Antiochus III in Syria. That's interesting. And we're going all the way to Syria? That's not... And we are going to go all the way to Syria. We're going to see him one more time. Really? I didn't know any of this about, uh, about Hannibal. That's pretty cool. Incredible, isn't it? Yeah, that is pretty cool. So, Scipio is completely victorious, and he is a gentle victor, kind in victory to the Carthaginians. He did not deny Carthage their right to exist. He just denied them their right to make war against Rome. Shrewd guy. Shortly after this, Matteo, this is now shortly after Zama. We're in the early days. Right. Scipio, after the Carthaginian Senate had ratified the peace and the Roman Senate had, Scipio towed 500 Carthaginian warships. 500 warships. Towed them out to sea, set them on fire, and then he crossed to Sicily with his army. I like this part. Makes me think about what was going on in Scipio's head. He did not sail back to Ostia. He didn't sail back to Rome. He sailed to Sicily. And then he started marching overland. It's true. He, he had to be shrewd. He didn't know what might have been waiting for him. Perhaps he didn't know what was waiting for him. And perhaps, perhaps, I get the sense that Scipio knew about... He cared about his, his popularity, the support of the people. And he knew oh, that... I was on a little tour. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. And I, but I don't think it was about ego as much as it is... Maybe it was about... Maybe it was about maybe it was the chess game. Now let, let's move our let's move our pawns. Right. And so as he's marching up the Italian peninsula, crowds were thronging him wherever he went as he marched up the military highways. He was the savior, Matteo. He had saved Rome. He beat the greatest general ever, basically. At this point. Yes. That we know of. And some people say the greatest ever still. People started calling him Matteo. This is something I learned in my research. It wasn't the Senate that granted him the name Africanus right away. Yeah, because it doesn't make sense. Why would they do that if they all didn't like him? Yeah. It was the people. The people that met him, that thronged him on the roads as the victorious young Scipio Africanus. Matteo, he was 35 years old. Young guy. He was the first Roman general in history to receive an agnomen for a territory that he conquered. He finally arrived at Rome. There was no trouble. You were worried there might be trouble at the gates. There was none. I don't think the Senate dared to cause trouble uh, yet, but trouble is coming. He was given a huge triumph. 
people were already talking, Matteo, at this point. They wanted him to be a permanent consul. He saved the republic. Some wanted him to be a permanent dictator. But Scipio, only 35 years old, refused. They wanted to put up statues of him in the forum to thank him. He refused to glorify him. He refused. He said, I am a general. And he served his role and he walked away. With the world at his fingertips. Are you feeling the chills that I'm feeling? That says a lot about him. That's pretty cold. It says everything about him, right? It's It's like Michael Jordan. Yeah, it is like Michael Jordan. Nuts. The world at his fingertips. He could have been Mateo. He could have been Caesar before Caesar. They were asking him to be Caesar. Maybe he wouldn't have been ousted either. And he walked away from that temptation and said, no statues, no dictatorship. I'm just a man. So, let that sink in for a second. It still blows me away. I really can't. I mean, I would like to think that I would have reacted the same after but having saved the world. It's like, it's, it's literally trying to grant him almost infinite power of the time. The closest thing you could get to being the most powerful person on earth. Yes. And he said no. It was basically, let's bring back the kingship of Rome. You are the new king of the most powerful force in the, West. In the Mediterranean. You. At 35 years old, you can have anything you want. And he said, I want to go farm, basically. Yeah. So we don't know a ton about Scipio in the immediate aftermath of his arrival and his triumph. He was very focused on taking care of his veterans. He wanted to make certain that the men that had made this happen were well taken care of. He was elected censor and he was elected consul one more time in the ensuing years. If you ever retired from the Senate. It's coming. In 190 BC, Matteo, Scipio was sent to war one final time. Oh, wow. So, like so 10 years after. 190 and Zama, I think, was in uh, 202. Do the math. Uh, 12 years? Yes! <laughs> uh, all right, that wasn't complex math, but, but still, I like putting you on the spot. So, this time, Matteo. He was to accompany his brother. Remember I said he had a brother who had the agnomen granted to him of Asiaticus? Right. All right, so that was his brother, Lucius, his only brother. And the Roman Senate was a little worried about the Seleucid king Antiochus III. This guy was based in Syria. And Antiochus was starting to expand his kingdom. This is one of the the uh, kind of the, the splinter kingdoms of... Of, uh, of, of Alexander, right. Right? Of the, yeah. one of the Macedonian splinter kingdoms. One of the kingdoms. successor kingdoms. Right, one of those, exactly, Su- thank you, successor kingdoms. They were pretty big. And they were getting bigger at this point. Antiochus was starting to cross the Taurus Mountains and starting to threaten what was then called Pergamum, which is modern-day Anatolia. Pergamum was an ally of Rome and asked the Romans for help. So the Romans sent two ambassadors to go talk to Antiochus, and they selected Scipio Africanus and his brother Lucius. <laughs> they went to, uh, to Antiochus and said, dude, stay on your side of the mountains. And Antiochus said, no worries. And then he crossed the mountains. He violated, he broke his word, basically. So the Senate then, Matteo, and I'm summarizing what was a, a pretty, it was a complex 
uh, what wound up being war, uh, the Syrian war, and they sent the Scipio brothers back at the heads of, I think, two legions. You're going to love this, however. The man that saved the world, arguably the most brilliant general of all times, said, hey guys, I don't want to take charge of the legions. I want my brother to be in charge. I'll be number two. You must have inherited a little bit of that good juju, though. Oh, I think he had good juju. But I think more importantly, Scipio said, guys, you know, I want my brother. Let's give this one to my bro. (laughs) Because I know my brother is, he always wanted to be the star. He has never been. Maybe this is a chance. So these guys take the Roman legions, Mateo, across the Taurus Mountains. First time the Romans made it into Syria. And Syria is going to be so important in the history of the Republic and the Empire to come. And they thumped, they walloped Antiochus. And guess what? And I know you can guess what. Guess what Scipio did? Of course, he was number two, but he was really in charge, right? Right. What did he do with Antiochus? Do you think he mercilessly wiped the guy out? No, he definitely definitely let him go back on his way after ensuring some... Some, uh, what's it called, limitations that wouldn't allow him to go to war in Pergamum again. Yeah. Hey, Antiochus, you screwed up, dude. We gave you a chance. You messed up. Now you need to pay a big penalty. You can't cross the Taurus Mountains. Just don't mess it up this time, okay? Okay. The Romans made out like bandits, however. They made a ton of money off of the settlement and the war. And the Scipio brothers came back heroes to the people. So much so that Lucius got the title. By the way, he insisted on getting this title. Oh, wow. Because he didn't want to be in his brother's shadows anymore. After the nice thing he did for him. Yeah, so you're Africanus, I'm Asiaticus. Okay. What a loser. And Scipio said, eh, okay. Yeah, it's all right. Does this make you feel good, brother? Okay, you be Asiaticus. Nicely done. And so Scipio always seemed to be surrounded by these small-minded people. Yeah. It's pretty funny to Envious be people. The last time we know of Scipio Matteo, it was shortly after this resounding victory against Antiochus, and our old friend, Cato the Elder, accused the Scipios of bribery, of stealing from the state during the Syrian war. Cato was determined to nail Scipio Africanus. And Lucius was so worried that he brought all of his record books to the Senate and he stood in front of the Senate and he started like paging through them to prove his innocence. Guys, 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 I didn't steal. This is a... Scipio Africanus was so angry that his honor was being impugned after everything he, he had done. He stood in front of the Senate. He grabbed the books out of his brother's hands He shredded them to pieces, threw them on the floor, and then he walked away. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, honestly, if I was, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that wanted to live a bureaucratic life, so. Most definitely not. So this trial went on for a while. Eventually, he was proven innocent, but he retired Matteo to his country estate at Laternum, and not terribly long after that, he died. Oh, poor guy. In the year 183, he was only 52 years old. It was the same year as Hannibal died. Hannibal was 67. And legend said... That's super young, and that's super interesting. 
that they died the same year? It is. And legend said, Mateo, that before his death, he ordered the following to be carved on his tombstone, which has never been discovered. And the sentence was, Ingrata patria neosa cuidam habeis, meaning, ungrateful fatherland, you shall not even have my bones. Wow. (laughs) So by the end of the story, the Senate was so freaking... What's it called? Ungrateful and that he didn't even like them anymore. Yes. He resented. Yes. Wow, that's crazy. And there's a sadness to this that he may have died with a bitterness in his heart because he wasn't recognized by the people he very much was. The people kept him safe. The people adored him, worshipped him, but not by his peers in the Senate. Jealousy. Corruption. Intense. Wouldn't yeah, you say? it's pretty sad. It is sad. However, I want to pick you up because I've saved a jewel for the end and I've been dying to share this with you since I discovered it. I had read about it many years ago. I'd forgotten about it, but in research for this episode, I came across it again. There is a jewel, Mateo, a jewel of history, one of the true jewels. Before the curtain fell on Scipio and before the curtain fell on Hannibal, the two heroes, the two generals, met one last time. Really? Yes. In the year 193, Mateo, before the Syrian war, remember I told you that Scipio and Lucius went as ambassadors to right. the court of Antiochus in Syria? I do remember. Okay. So that was nine years, Mateo, after Zama. Nine short years. So... Scipio and his brother Lucius arrive at the court of Antiochus, the Seleucid king, and Antiochus was already starting to cause trouble, and the Scipio brothers were there to make certain that the peace was kept, and they were invited to a banquet in the court of Antiochus. And guess who Scipio is sitting next to at the banquet? Hannibal? Yes. They sat down at dinner together. That's pretty cool. And they started making small talk over a glass of wine. And Scipio, you can imagine, so much history, so much emotion. So much, uh, what's it called, resemblance between them. Yes, I was going to say... They led very similar lives. Yes, I was going to say respect as well. They had mutual respect. And Scipio, and this guy is, what, 15 years younger than Hannibal? Maybe even like his enemy, sort of big brother, who knows? He asked Hannibal, hey, Hannibal, who do you think the three greatest generals in history were? What a question. Yeah, it sounds like a trap almost. Yeah, and this is what Hannibal responded. Number one, easy, Alexander the Great. Naturally. Number two, King Pyrrhus. Or Pyrrhus. Pyrrhus. Mateo, we skipped him entirely in this podcast. Right, but he was he was running around not, not too long before this. He was not too long before this. He was not Roman. He was an enemy of Rome, which is why we didn't cover him. Uh, and he is who Hannibal chose as number two. And finally, Hannibal said, number three? Oh, that would be me. <laughs> That's me. Humble. And Scipio laughed, and he said, okay, all right, all right. So you're number three. But what would you have said, Hannibal, if you had defeated me? To which Hannibal responded, then beyond doubt, 
I would place myself both before Alexander and before Pyrrhus and before all other generals. In other words, if and I... basically... No, you, you continue. No, no, you. Scipio basically thwarted his ascension to be the greatest general of all time in his eyes. And, Scipio, I didn't put you on my list of the top three. But if I had beaten you, I would have been the best. And so the underhanded compliment was, dude. You're pretty freaking good. <laughs> you're pretty darn good. <laughs> Maybe you're the best, but he couldn't say it. So Scipio was so profoundly moved because, as Polybius says, Hannibal had segregated him from all other commanders as one beyond estimation. At the end of this conversation, Matteo, you can imagine the candles are burning down, the night is winding down, and Hannibal said, hey, stay on here at the court. I would like you to be my guest. And Scipio replied that he would love to, but that he didn't trust Antiochus. Aw, they could that be friends. That's pretty, that's pretty freaking cool, right? honestly. They, they kind of became like friends at the end. Yes. I can't tell you how excited I've been over the last couple of weeks to share this that's bit with awesome. you. That's awesome. So there was some kind of closure at the end, maybe even peace, maybe, maybe friendship, a healing for the two of them. And that was that. Hannibal's story ends not long thereafter in mystery and tragedy. He did command troops for Antiochus in the war that followed. He never met Scipio in the field of battle. Antiochus never trusted him entirely, so put him in charge of some minor little rinky-dink navy and Hannibal never saw battle. Antiochus wound up losing miserably, as we know. Maybe if he had used Hannibal properly, the outcome would have been different. Hannibal died in 183. Some say by his own hands. Maybe he would drank poison somewhere in Anatolia after learning that the Romans were coming for him. I don't think Hannibal would have done that. Other stories say that he cut himself with a sword, was infected, and died. Who knows? Regardless of how it happened, Hannibal died at the age of 65 years old. And that is the end of Scipio and Hannibal. And the big question that lingers in my mind before we get into the ranking, Mateo, is why do we know nothing of Scipio if he was the victor, if he was the greatest, if his enemy, who we consider to be the greatest, essentially called Scipio the greatest, where did he go? He's the ultimate lost Roman hero. Everybody praises Hannibal. Oh, that, that is true. Everyone praises Hannibal and and... To this day, people are speculating how he got over the Alps, which is obviously a, a big question that we still haven't answered, which yes. is pretty fascinating. It is unbelievably fascinating. It is pretty crazy that no one cares about Scipio. I've thought about this a lot. I just can't figure it out. And the best explanation I've heard about why we... First of all, you were never taught anything about Scipio in school. I was never taught anything about I mean, Scipio I wasn't taught school. anything about Hannibal either, but... That's true. But you've heard about Hannibal, and you see Hannibal yeah. in, in uh, popular culture and in movies right. and TV shows, and Scipio is never there. The best explanation I've heard as to why Scipio has disappeared from history comes from a, the historian B.H. Little Hart, who, as I said, wrote a brilliant book about Scipio called Greater Than Napoleon. And this is what he said. Little wonder that his countrymen gradually turned from adulation to petty criticism. He's talking about the Romans. Right. Little wonder that historians have forgotten him, for such loftiness of mind is beyond the comprehension of ordinary men, and ordinary men hate what they cannot understand. 
So yeah, and he was just he was so freaking smart. You think he probably had a, like a genius level IQ or something? I think for sure, genius level IQ, as I'm sure Hannibal did as well. So that Matteo storm is the story of Scipio Africanus, and it is time to rank him. And we will begin where we always begin with a discussion of their military success on a scale of zero to ten. Well, ten How obviously. We, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to build it up, but Come I don't on, think we have a lot of. <laughs> it's a ten. I don't think we have a lot of choice about this one. Okay, do you want to elaborate in any, in any way, shape, or form? Do I need to explain myself? I don't know. Listen, this guy beat maybe the greatest general of all time in his own homelands when he was outnumbered. He beat three other of some of the most formidable generals of the time, men that defeated his own father and uncle. Uh, he was able to break the hack of the war elephants. Um, well put. When, when given no resources, he was able to build an army from scratch, basically. Like, how, he, didn't, he didn't even have to lay siege to Carthage to capitulate them. Yeah. And that's pretty crazy. So I'm putting a 10. I mean, what could he have done better? I think I would be a fool to say anything other than what you just said. He is a 10 without a doubt. I mean, he was so successful that uh, Hannibal basically was willing to call it quits just to not lose. Yes. 10. That gives him a total of 20 points for military success. Moving on to political success. This one may be a little bit more nuanced. This one's, It's tricky because... I mean, when you're talking about political, I mean, it, it means a lot of things, you know? Like, he was able to win over the hearts of the people. So, yeah, that's already a big win. Like, they freaking adored him. Also, um, he was able to capitulate Carthage, and he presented them terms uh, that every time was accepted by at least one of the governing bodies. So the Council of Elders accepted every single term he presented. Obviously, the Senate didn't, but they later on did. And it was terms that were favorable to Scipio, obviously. Even though they weren't super harsh. Yes. But domestically, yes. he was... It's not his fault, you know? Like, it's not that he didn't do anything wrong. It's just domestically they were out to get him. Yes. Because, because well, they were jealous, probably. Yes. But acknowledging the fact that there was people working against him in Rome... He did pretty well to like. He did pretty well to adapt to all of that and still succeed. So it's hard. I don't he, know. He, you're right. He didn't let domestic his problems with domestic politics stop him from doing right. what he needed to and do. It, and it wasn't anything of his fault. They were just yeah. out to get him. Yes. So in some ways, you could say that's a win. The fact that he didn't let, um, like the battle against his name back at home affect yeah. the result of the campaign. Yes. I mean, imagine if somebody, some, some other consul was, was put in Africa and he was taken out. I mean, then it yeah. would, I, that would, I consider that a loss. But I guess he, in some ways he won. So I, you could count that as a victory or you could count it as a loss either but, way. But. but at the end of the day, he accomplished what he needed to accomplish. But and, and, the, and, uh, and we're forgetting yes. when they tried to ruin his name by falsely accusing him of corruption, he was able to also beat the case. He was. So he was very successful. The, the only reason why I won't give him a 10 here is that, well, 
he in essence did not play the political game, right? Yeah. He did not play the political game. Uh, and he wound up, one senses, at the end of his life, somewhat embittered by the, politi- the domestic political tie, the senatorial political game, and how it somehow turned against him and, and he was not given his due by his peers in the Senate. So I would say I'm not going to give him a 10. I think I'm going to give him an 8, actually, Matteo. He did what he needed to do despite the politics. He didn't really play the political game. He circumvented politics. Um, yeah, but he also did that one time that he was in the Senate. He did um, shut up Kunkator with that. With that's that true. He gave rebuttal. a br- you're right, a brilliant speech. So, so I'm gonna give him an eight point five. Okay, fair enough. Okay, next, Matteo, cool hero ten. factor. Could you possibly give him any less than a ten? No way. He's a genius. If, if we could give him more than a ten, we would. Obviously. So ten. I'm giving him a yeah. ten. What's your favorite? cool hero moment for Scipio? Probably. Um, I think riding down to save his father when he was on his horse. Matteo Storm, you read my mind. You read my mind. That is you a read pretty my cool mind. moment. Since the day I read about that, it has stayed in my head, and I first read a book about Scipio Africanus about 20 years ago, maybe more. I think that is the coolest moment. Definitely, I think. The day he appears in history. Agreed. Okay, a 10. Finally, impact on Rome, Matteo. Scale of 0 to 10. What is his... Uh, sorry, not impact on Rome. His lasting impact on the world. What is it on a scale of well, 0 to 10? I'm going to give him a 10. Because if he had not beat Hannibal, Carthage could have basically risen to become the most dominant power in the West. Yes. For... Maybe 10 years, maybe 1,000 years. Like, yes. you, you can never tell, but Rome would have never yes. become an imperium. So I'm This was the turning ten, point. For sure. Yeah. This is the turning point where either Rome powers up and becomes dominant, or Rome becomes subservient and subjugated to right. Carthage and never rises. Every power goes through a moment like this, and yeah. the reason Rome was able to yeah. move ahead was well because of Scipio. So. If Scipio had lost at Zama... We'll talk about that in a second, could but all, I agree with you. If you had lost at Zama, we could all be Phoenicians right now. Yes. Like, Mateo, I'm with you, and but we have not necessarily a problem. Let's just put it out there. This is far and away our highest score. This is a 96% for Scipio Africanus. Jesus. I don't think there's any question about whether or not he belongs in the Hall of Heroes. Of course. He should be first ballot all the way at the top. First ballot all the way at the top. Welcome to the Hall of Heroes. Scipio Africanus. Shall we give him a little clap? Speaking for the both of us, we truly hope that we did you right because you so deserve it. And I hope his name uh, regains or rises to relevancy once again because... I mean, he's been kind of lost to time, and I'm not sure why. Nor am I. And I would say that it's for him and for people like him. It's our duty to remind people of what they did. I could not possibly agree with you more. So, it's been an honor and a privilege to cover Scipio. And we hope that you, the listeners, have enjoyed it. And now... We need to, please, we're making an appeal to our listeners. We really need everybody that is listening to this podcast 
to please leave a little review. You guys have no idea how important it is, not just to us on a personal level. We love reading the notes that you leave and the emails that you send to us, but the reviews that you leave, especially on iTunes, as well as other podcast platforms, Podbean and Spotify and the others, are extremely important. Why? Because the more reviews you leave, the better placement our podcast gets in search results and the more people get exposed to Lost Roman Heroes, the podcast. So please, if you're enjoying this podcast, we're so happy that you are. And we've just passed 1,400 downloads, which is incredible. Because just a couple of weeks ago, we were just breaking 1,000. The best thing you could possibly do for us, a gift to us, is to leave a little review. Mateo, would you agree? I would agree, yeah. Because uh, the more people that listen, the more our goal gets accomplished, I guess, which is uh, uh, yeah. bringing these names out of the dark, I guess. And that's the goal, right? As we're not... This is not about making money for us. We don't charge anything for the podcast. We do this because we're really passionate about the topic and we want to bring people like Scipio Africanus out of the dark so that you go home tonight and you talk to your family about it or talk to a friend at work or when you're playing sports that you think of him. So please, please, please do leave us a little review. It could just be a few words. The great news is that more and more of you are listening and this podcast is spreading around the world and Mateo and I talk about it all the time and it blows us away. We have listeners in new countries, including Mateo. Taiwan. Oh, you want me to read? Yeah, Taiwan. Read. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hong Kong, <laughs> Vietnam, Italy, Austria, and Greece. Uh, awesome, right? Yeah, we're, we're spreading out east. We are spreading out east. I mean, uh, by the way, other countries that just popped up in the last week, we have downloads in India as well, Mateo. We have downloads in Argentina. Uh, it is extremely exciting to see. Thank you to all of our listeners. I would like to read, as we usually do, Mateo, one of our recent reviews, but this one is not a review. This one is instead an email that we received, Mateo, in, uh, uh, to info at lostromanheroes.com. And I would like, would you like to read it? No, you can read it. You can read yeah? It. Yeah. Okay. So, the review is from a listener in Hong Kong. And this is the review. Hey guys, I'm a kid in Hong Kong who just started to listen to your podcast. I love it, and I'm also fascinated with Roman myths and history. I'd love to meet you in person someday, but please carry on the podcast. I love listening to those stories of Roman heroes. And this is from a listener called Ted in Hong Kong. Ted, I got to tell you, it's people like you that make us, uh, well, want to keep going. Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, it was super great to see. It really made my day. So thank you, Ted. Thanks to all of you. Please email us at info at lostromanheroes.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at lostromanheroes. And Mateo, we will be back next Sunday with a new episode. And a new Scipio. 
and a new Scipio. Have you ever heard of Scipio Emilianus? Not at all. But maybe we saw his tomb. We did visit the tomb of the Scipios. I don't know if Emilianus was there. He might be. He's a big one, Matteo. You're going to be surprised. Okay. I like surprises. Well, surprises are coming. And that is it for now. Many thanks to our listeners. Matteo, thank you. I'm having fun. Yeah, me too. Thank you. And thanks to everyone listening. Have a great day, everyone. Hope you enjoy the episode, and we'll talk to you next week. That's it for now. See you later. Bye-bye. Thank <laughs> you.